This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm PJ Doran, and this week on Pit Pass, we're going to have Steve Jugan of uh, Moto America fame and Michael Locke of the AFT. But first, I wanted to share some news with you. This weekend, big weekend, the first Triple Crown event of our Supercross series in Glendale, Arizona. As you know, the Triple Crown means that instead of uh, heats, we do have qualifiers, but instead of heats, we have three main events in each of the classes, 450 and 250. And what a bang-up weekend. Mr. Ken Roxon, the comeback story of arguably all-time, does the triple. Wins race one, wins race two, wins race three. Eli Tomac absolutely kept him honest, made a real race of it in uh Round one and round two, race one, race two, Tomac was there in second. In race three, Tomac had a little bit of a bobble, managed to come home third, take second overall to Roxon, but it was Roxon's night. He absolutely crushed it. Cheers to you, Ken Roxon. Uh, the comeback that is your career is continuing to amaze and astound anyone who's watching and. Can't imagine your uh, bosses at um, HRC Honda are anything less than overwhelmingly pleased. So Ken got the overall. Tomac came second with Anderson in third, resulting in season-long points. So far, Roxon is now in the lead with 92 points. He's got the overall points lead. Tomac sitting in a close second at 84. Barsha hanging on in third with 81. Moving on to the 250 class, it was a very good weekend for one Mr. Austin Forkner. He is uh, rebounding from a somewhat tough start in the 250 West Series. Went 1-1-3 and three on the night. He took first place in the first two races. Came third in the third race to take the overall. Dylan Ferrandis, Mr. Consistency on the evening, took second in all three in all three races. And he is sitting then second in points in the 250 West Series, uh, just behind uh, Cooper and uh, just in front of Hartramp. And the overall on the night then was uh, in the 250 class, Forkner with the overall, Dylan Ferrandis in second, and Michael Moseman in third. That was a really interesting race. The Triple Crowns are always fun to watch. It's just a little different. The races are a little shorter. We get more of them. It's, uh, it's a unique series that they run within the series, these Triple Crown events. In road racing news, which I love to talk about, and so glad I have some to share. Our hero and recent guest, uh, Josh Hayes, won out of the four races at the International Island Classic in Australia. Josh Hayes was able to win race one and race four. He bookended the four races with Australian Alex Phyllis taking race two and three victories. It was good performances by all of Team USA. Unfortunately for us, Australia 
nipped us at the line. They take the overall, defend their title in the uh, International Island Classic, which is an incredible event, as uh, Josh has shared with us. He continues to race it. He said he wants to race it till he dies. So <laughs> kudos to you, Josh, for an impressive weekend and all of Team USA. Thank you for representing us so well. And hopefully uh, this gives Australia something to build on, as we know they're nationally having some really serious issues with the fires. We all wish them the best. And uh, again, hopefully a, a bit of good news for on the weekend that they uh, were able to defend their title. That pretty much wraps it up for uh, the notable racing events on the weekend. We want to encourage you, our listener, though, um, reach out to us. We've got to uh, give you the opportunity via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, even our own website, Pit Pass Moto. Get out there and let us know who you'd like to hear us talking to, what you think about racing so far this season, and where you see racing going. We would take any input that you, the listener, have about who you want to hear us talk to, and we will try and get them on, do our darndest to bring them around. This week's trivia question on Pit Pass Moto is an interesting one. What year was the exhaust power valve introduced to production two-stroke motocross motorcycles? Very specific there to production two-stroke motocross motorcycles. We will uh, be back with the answer later in our show. We are going to start the show with Mr. Steve Jugan, Moto America VP, recently hired from Monster Energy. We're going to discuss with him Moto America at large. All right. Welcoming to Pit Pass Moto, Mr. Steve Jugan of Moto America. Steve, welcome to the show and tell us uh, what your uh, position is within Moto America. Wonderful national racing series that we have here in the U.S. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. So yes, my, uh, my journey has begun at Moto America. Obviously, it's a very exhilarating time for Moto America and the sport. There's an incredible team of individuals here that are incredibly passionate about the future growth of Moto America, and it's exciting to be here. I'm glad to be part of it. So Steve, as I understand, you are uh, coming to Moto America from Monster Energy. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. I was just going to say, did you have involvement with Moto America through your, because Moto America and Monster Energy certainly have uh, have had business dealings together, it would seem, since day one. Yeah, absolutely. So I did touch Moto America at one point, working with the kind folks over at Yamaha. They were looking to do a special promotion, um throughout the, the barber race. And we had an opportunity to work with Bob Starr and Keith McCarty on putting together a retail pass-through program that essentially got the point of sale materials and local retail outlets through, uh, at that time, my field marketing uh, managers and team. We were able to integrate them into retail accounts throughout that particular stop. And I believe at that time we had created some point of purchase materials around Josh Herring at the time. And it worked out very well. Yeah, and that's a wonderful event, one of my favorites of every season. So let's talk about what you see uh, as the future for Moto America. You're, you're obviously operating in a marketing capacity, as I understand it. I presume your task is to make Moto America yet more visible through any of the 
numerous avenues that are available to uh, our series to do that. Absolutely. So I just would like to continue on by by just giving a shout out to my my former colleagues over at Monster Energy and segue into your question. You know, it was absolute honor and a privilege to have the opportunity to work at, at Monster Energy and be part of that team in the formative years. I have the utmost respect for my my former colleagues and executive staff at Monster. You know, they've done such an amazing job with motorsports, action sports uh, industries as a whole, not to mention supporting race teams, you know, athletes, manufacturers, and events. And with that said, having witnessed that and being part of my DNA from my, my years at Monster, that's exactly my focus here and my passion for Moto America. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of this call, uh, it's an incredibly exciting time for the team here and for Moto America. I look to leverage all of my experiences and successes at Monster in building a phenomenal program here with the Moto America team in supporting the series, the manufacturers, the athletes, and teams as well. So do you get what I've always wondered about marketing from the any sanctioning or body's perspective? Do you work at the track level? Are you going to be partnering with uh, track organizations themselves, uh, such as Barber? Sure. So, you know, what I foresee developing is, first and foremost, uh, building out uh, our partnership program, which will entail, obviously, uh, support at the track level. But the key is, is bringing in uh, partners that are excited about the opportunity to work with an established brand such as Moto America um, with the opportunity to work together uh, in our partnerships to build brand awareness throughout each of the Moto America series stops and integrate that into our TV programming social media packages and our pass-through programs. Steve, I'm going to ask you a real hard one. Are you yourself a motorcyclist? That's an easy one. Thanks for asking. I've, uh, I was very fortunate to grow up here in Southern California and spent many years racing uh, in the pro open class motocross um, classes here throughout Southern California on, on what's now become the legendary tracks such as Carlsbad Raceway. Yeah. Awesome. Saddleback, Escape Country, and for those that go back as far as I do, the night races up at uh, Orange County International Raceway at the end of the drag strip. So yes, I still continue to ride today. I have a dual sport and a, uh, a 350 um, dirt bike and still get on the bike on a regular basis and like to tour and ride. Well, then this is, uh, it would seem a good fit for you being involved in motorcycle racing. It, it helps clearly uh, the, the crew there and uh, Moto America are making the right choices when they're hiring people. Yeah, absolutely. And I find also on that note that everybody here is like-minded, which is just, you know, feels like home. It's amazing, this group of people. Yeah, it's hard not to get excited about the incredible racers, the incredible action that happens in our Moto America series. I'm personally a huge fan, have been attending races since I had uh, the funds and wherewithal to do so, which is well over 20 plus years now. And it's outstanding. It's, it's an amazing event to watch and uh, 
I just hope that uh, more people are able, through your efforts, uh, presumably, to get to see what's going on. Has the TV package changed in any meaningful way? I myself thought it was very good last year, and I also take advantage of the uh, online options that Moto America has made very reasonably priced for people. So I have that in addition to the wonderful TV coverage. Is it going to be something similar this season? It's my understanding, correct. Uh, They're going to continue to develop the online entity and the uh, television programming as a pass-through from last year, uh, which will continue to incorporate Fox Sports 2 and uh, NBC Sports Network. The best way to get in front of people clearly is television in some form. It seems the world is, of course, going the way of the Internet, but television, I think, still... would love to hear your take, but I think television, absolutely, uh, major networks like NBC Sports and, and Fox Sports are, are big ones, aren't they? Absolutely, and it's critical, in my opinion, to get the message out and to get uh, uh, the passionate viewers uh, access to uh, you know the races that they love to, to see and support if they're not at the track. So where are you based out of, Steve? Are you in, you, you said SoCal, still there? Yes, still in SoCal uh, at the Auto America offices here in Irvine near the uh, John Wayne Airport. Nice. California weather. You cannot beat it. It is terrible here in the Midwest, so you're not missing a thing. (laughs) So do you get to um, season opener, um, Daytona? Well, I guess that's not not Moto America. Are there any events in the season that will incorporate other arms of um, professional American racing? Do you guys partner well, with anybody in that fashion or no? Well, certainly. I mean, the, the you know, the, 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 the first one that comes to mind, of course, is, um, you know, Circuit of Americas in Austin with MotoGP. You know, we're running the entire format uh, the same weekend as, as MotoGP at circuit americas and that's that's the one that i'm most familiar with as far as you know partnering on track and you said you're running the full so all classes of moto america will be running at coda that is my understanding and i may be mistaken but i believe that it's um it's going to have a full full schedule that's great news um in years past i've been to that event a couple times uh it's been abbreviated, uh, an abbreviated uh, stop for the Moto America guys, uh, simply because there's a schedule to be kept and there's only so many hours in a race day. And like I said, there still may be an abbreviated schedule, so I'm not 100% certain on that. It's still good to be included with them, even if it, you know, you feel bad for racers who might not get involved. It's good to get the Moto America guys on track with the Moto GP guys. Oh, it's, absolutely. It really it builds a lot of excitement and, uh, it's, it's a great event, incredible facility. Uh, have you been to many of the other facilities on the calendar? I've been to several. Uh, of course, with my years at Monster, I was at MotoGP quite often, supporting that race uh, through customer marketing, marketing, retail programming opportunities, and partnerships. Uh, so that would have been like Laguna and or oh absolutely Laguna yeah absolutely we had uh, hosted many uh, many customers clients and VIPs at at both tracks uh, and then of course one of my all time favorites is Barber um, you know that's just a 
incredible facility and the history that that just is within that building with the collection is just uh, unbelievable. Yeah, it's hard not to love that place. On the marketing front, do you or Moto America at large see yourselves assisting riders? How do riders go about marketing themselves? Is that a partnership with the series or are they fending for themselves? How does that interaction work? We obviously have open door policy with doing anything we can to help anybody at any level in, in this partnership. So if the teams reach out and, and need some guidance on assisting uh, them with information to help them close their own sponsorship deals and whatnot. We are more than willing to bend over backwards to help them. And in the same breath, any partners that we're working with that want to do something on a team level, uh, we will certainly pass that through to uh, the teams for them to consider as well. And then I presume a healthy part of your job uh, will be going into the marketplace and finding potential sponsors, actual sponsors, new industries. Absolutely. I mean, are there industries that you're really focusing on that maybe haven't been touched historically, or is that a, a question that can't be answered yet? No, I think that's a great question and a fair question. And I think uh, at, at this at this point uh, in the development of uh, the partnerships, we really are, are looking, again, I think the most important key here is, is that we're looking for brands and partners that are passionate about motorsports and are looking to leverage uh, our strength and abilities to help them get their brand message out, get their brands exposed to new consumers through our networking, our, our programming, our social media, our on-track opportunities, and getting the product in the hands of new consumers. So any emerging brands, whether it's uh, energy or information and technology, local regional businesses that are growing that want to support, uh, support local activities. We're looking for the types of partners that are the best fit to grow with us. And that's exciting news. The series uh, shows all signs of being, uh, you know, since the days that Crave took it over, they've really brought this series a long ways. It's been an interesting ride and, and fun to watch. How do you feel about the overall health of the series? Clearly, you, you must be uh, feeling pretty optimistic about it as you took the job that's been put in front of you. You know, when you look at the teams and the commitments they have, the athletes, the professionalism of the grid, um, you know, it, it's just beyond words how exciting it is to represent that type of commitment and passion in the sport, not only from the paddock level and the riders, uh, the manufacturers, but also this entity, you know, Moto America. I, I can't stress enough how excited and committed the team is, is to building out a legacy with Moto America and the sport. It's just incredibly exciting and all inspiring to be here knowing that everybody is fully committed to, uh, to building upon the legacy of what's been created. Well, thank you, sir, for that very optimistic uh, look at what will be hopefully a very interesting season. Thank you so much for joining us today, Steve. Thank you to everyone at Moto America. We, they don't get enough praise, in my estimation, simply because it's a thankless job and no one's ever happy, it seems, in the 
and until they're at a race, then it's then it's nothing but smiles. So thank you again for taking uh, taking on the the role that you have, and uh, hopefully bringing more light to the series. And uh, please get a hold of us if you come up with something that needs to be shared. We love being a, a, another avenue for that information to get out to our listeners and to the world at large. It's been an absolute pleasure being on your show, and and thank you so much for your support. We'll see you at the races. See you at the races. Thank you again, Steve Jugan, VP at Moto America. This week's tribute question on Pit Pass Moto, question of the week was, what year was the exhaust power valve introduced to production two-stroke motocross motorcycles? I remember the bike well. The answer, of course, is the 1981 Yamaha YZ models. Uh, Yamaha really led the way. In, and continues to do so in that era. Most notably, they brought the power valve. They also brought the mono shock to mass production. Again, kudos to Yamaha for changing the way we ride. We're going to bring up next on Pit Pass for your entertainment, one Mr. Michael Locke of American Flat Track. He's one of the men in charge of AFT, the CEO. We look forward to talking to him. Welcome back to the show. What can you tell us? What do we got new and exciting? Uh, there have been some de- developments in our AFT, in your AFT series that I, as a fan, am looking forward to. What are the big, the big news from from your side of the fence? There, there, there is a lot going on. I'm pretty sure I say that every year, but this year there really is. We've done a number of things to reshape the sporting side of the series, the actual racing. We've expanded the production twins class, so now it's running at all tracks except the three TTs. It's really found its place and its home in the series as a very legitimate third class. So we're we're very pleased about that. We've got a number of teams and riders hopping bikes over the winter season, both in the AFT singles class, which as I'm sure you'll agree is a spectacle every week. And it's been uh, awesome. And, and yeah, the the singles, I mean we we look forward to watching the singles. Um it is raw talent and very exciting to watch and we've like i say we've got a little bit of um seat hopping going on there with some interesting names uh, going to be in the championship this year and we've tweaked a few things behind the scenes to try and keep the aft singles on track and keep it expanding so we're looking with a little bit more of a critical eye at uh, new license applications this year we're, we're really tightening up on the criteria because what we want to do is we want to make sure that everybody who gets involved is a committed and be safe so i think aft singles is going to be back better than ever this year and and really the jewel in the crown is what we've done with aft twins is that we have repackaged and rebranded it a little bit to try and focus more attention on the stars and to try and elevate that sport into the a world-class standard that we know it is, but uh, much of the outside world doesn't yet know. So the, the repackaging of twins into super twins is, is really going to focus attention on the glamour guys, on the uh, on the glamour bikes. And uh, we hope that we're able to deliver great racing for the fans, but also a great experience for all those involved who work very hard and uh, spend their hard-earned money to uh, to compete in that championship. So on the sporting side, it's going to be spectacular this year. Last season was exciting, the season before, but this year, I think, with the growing fan base and all the anticipation preseason, we're gonna we're gonna really hit fever pitch when we get to uh, Bike Week in March. 
We're all looking forward to it. Can't wait. Month and a half away from Daytona. I'm doing everything in my power to make sure I'm personally there because I just am so stoked to, to see all the series that will be visible while one is there. How many years, I forget, Michael, have you been involved in AFT? This is my fifth season. The first year I worked for much of the year as a consultant to the business and uh, came uh, in-house and took up a management position at the end of that first year. But this is, yeah, this is five years down now. So you you were coming in probably right in lockstep with Indian, is that right? Does that timing work out about right? Or was did you, you predate Indian? Hadn't, they hadn't kicked off the project yet when I joined, but uh, they were in contact very soon afterwards to explore what the possibilities were in uh, in flat track for them you know it's an aggressive brand and seeking to re-establish their main name in the marketplace and they saw flat track racing as a as a fast route to get there so they contacted us early on in the project to really work out a strategy and uh, they came on board in i think they first raced in 2016 right at the end of the season joe cop rode the first bike for them and then uh you know they had the factory team in 2017 and 18 and 19 and uh, and now they have half the bikes in the twin paddock yes and a dynasty was born literally on day one i find it interesting for uh, that michael that your involvement since your involvement five short or long depending on what day of the week probably from your perspective <laughs> you've brought yeah. in two two new manufacturers arguably f- that had no previous involvement ktm being the other huge player in any paddock that they get into with with their uh, efforts and uh, muscle they I mean, it's been incredible to see what they are doing in every form of racing, but particularly in AFT. Have they given you any, as a fan and as a dealer of said KTMs, um, have they given you any inklings that they might someday want to go to the big boy class? Because they certainly have the the muscle, wherewithal, and and power to do something like that. Well, I I have a lot of conversations with um, with KTM management, primarily here in the U.S., but also in Europe. I've visited with the uh, European head office a couple of times, um, really to tell the story of flat track. And I don't think it's any secret because I, I believe even the chief executive of the group has uh, gave a speech at the Milan show last year, outlining their midterm strategy for their group. And they favor getting into the twins as soon as they uh, can with a competitive package. I don't know when that will be. It may even be as early as this year for some selected rounds or next year with a with a full team. But what they've already said, which was something quite interesting, is that they share technology within their group. So KTM and Husqvarna both share technology. And it may be that it's a Husqvarna team in twins and a KTM team in singles. That That's not beyond the realms of possibility, certainly from the words that have come from uh, come from their chief executive. So we wait with bated breath. And that is exciting news. Thank you for sharing that. Clearly, they again, just everything they've touched, they bring a it's, – it's good for the series, is the, the long and the short of it. They bring real panache and uh, just an uber-professional organization to any paddock that they join. They really do, and they set an example in our paddock – you know, they, they came, their debut season was 2019. I mean, it feels like they've been around forever, but they've actually I know, right? only been, only been here year. for a year. And Chris Fillmore, who's the team manager, is a very likable guy, super smart, and very competent himself on two wheels. And Absolutely. it was his rookie season. Yeah, his Pikes Peak runs are things oh, of lore. Yeah. 
They they are indeed. And Chris, like I say, Chris is a likable guy. We get on very well with him. And his rookie season didn't look that rookie to me. And, uh, you know, they had Dan Bromley and, and Shana Texter riding for them, arguably, you know, the two most talented riders in that singles paddock. And they didn't win the championship in their rookie season, but they were in the mix. Dan was in the mix and Shana does what Shana always does, which is these incredible thrilling victories, which she seems to pluck out of nowhere. They just announced this week that she has renewed for another two seasons. So I think she's getting comfortable in that saddle. Absolutely. Uh, it, when she's on, it's impressive. Uh, gender's the last thing you think about when Shana Texture's uh, really hauling the mail. It is how fast that person yeah. is going on a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. That's all that you can think. Yeah, and not and you know not just on the straights. You look at her corner approach when she's riding up front and in the mix. Shana's a, a, a terrier. Gets the biggest gasps and cheers from the crowd everywhere we go. Yeah, she's uh, she'd be a natural-born road racer as well. Clearly has zero fear. She really excels. It seems the longer the track, the the faster she gets. Um, High-speed cornering's her forte, and it just bodes really well for the whole series. Uh, the excitement that not just her, I mean, all of the racers. I think the approach that you're describing of marketing the racers to build the excitement around them is is definitely paying off. I mean, people are, I see it when I go to the races, is the stepping stone approach that it, it as you mentioned, you've brought in uh, the production twins class and it's it's becoming a bigger part. Is there a stepping stone approach that seems to be paying off? It seems like the, the feeder class structure is working. Well, look, the strategy from the beginning was what I would call a pyramid strategy. You know, that the singles class has the is the most accessible and has the biggest participation. And then there is a route through that to production twins to get used to riding a fundamentally different motorcycle. But before you have to take on Briar Bauman and Jared Mees. And there is a route up into uh, super twins from there. So I think we've removed some of the opaqueness that there always was in uh, in flat track. We made it a little simpler and hopefully more accessible. And, and you, you referenced the manufacturers. I'm hearing that loud and clear from 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 the OEMs is that the flat track for many of them was always a bit of a black art. Uh, they didn't really, they didn't really have the expertise, and and the sport spoke a very complicated language to people outside it as well. So we we tried to simplify that to get a richer blend of participation from different machines and different types of riders, and that certainly is paying off. You know, we've had a few um, refugees come to us and, and and try us out from road racing or from supercross or motocross uh, as the excitement in. AFT's risen, and and I I don't see any barrier to that continuing to richen the sport. No, I think it's to its uh its great health uh, that outside race who honestly uh, started their careers most of them in flat tracking uh, the JD Beaches Jake Lewis the. the Moto America paddock is full of American flat track racers, whether they're <laughs> actively campaigning or not. It is completely chock full of American flat track racers. It, it is. And, and, you know, ultimately, as much as we all love the romanticism and the excitement of the sport, it's a business as well. And for a long time, no one could look you straight in the face and say that um, pro flat track was a business. It survived by clinging on by its fingernails and by the generosity of a number of benefactors of the sport but that's not sustainable so for me one of the biggest barometers of of our forward momentum is that more manufacturers broader mix of riders more venues and frankly the 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 in-house aft paddock 
they all take training in the winter very seriously now, uh, not only of their bodies and their minds, but also their machines. There's crew jumping from team to team because the, there are skills that are, are sought after and prized. And so it's becoming a bit more uh, familiar to me as a, as a professional motorsport than it was five years ago. Um, the racing is probably just as exciting now as it was then, but every, all the layers of the onion around the actual flag-to-flag sport, which were very malnourished, are starting to look a bit healthier now. So, Michael, if it's not taboo and you're willing to discuss it, to what extent is DMG still, what is the relationship to the series that I presume they still in great part own? Is that an inaccuracy? No, DMG is the trading title for our company, Daytona Motorsports Group. We are the owners of uh, the uh, rights for pro uh, motorcycle racing, um, not only flat track, but also hill climb. And we license out road racing to Motor America, and we work with MX Sports and with Feld on Supercross and Motocross. So we are, we are the owners of professional motorcycle racing in the U.S., Flat Track is the only one that we actually manage in-house. We saw the greatest opportunity for growth long-term with this most American of motorcycle sports. We felt that that was something that we hadn't celebrated enough, and uh, and obviously we've been working very hard to correct that. So so that that's the ownership structure. We own the rights to everything, but we manage uh, Flat Track in-house. Understood, and thank you for the uh, education on that front. It, I, I find it interesting historically how how all of our national racing series have developed and, and are all seem to be finding their own uh, path and the best way forward. Uh, certainly, you, you folks have done an amazing job with AFT. It's only grown uh, in your tenure, so I have to assume that you get really nice Christmas baskets from your employer. <laughs> I, I, i'm still waiting on the christmas basket but uh, <laughs> we're you know we're, we're joking aside we we're really closing the first chapter of the long-term strategy that we laid out five years ago and that first chapter was to right some wrongs make the sport more accessible and simpler to understand to the outside world who you know is 99.5 percent of the u.s population we we needed to reach out to them both physically by taking races all over the country to places we'd never been to before but also by changing the language of the sport and making it more accessible we've come to the end of that first chapter super twins describes the start of the second chapter which is to really grow the sport by having a um a really solid product and you know i'm a bike guy i've been involved in bikes all my adult life and i've worked with bikes most of it but ultimately we are putting together a product and trying to sell it to America. Ours happens to be on two wheels and, and round dirt tracks, but America has to respond to that and, 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 and buy that one way or another, either by buying a ticket or by watching on NBC or watching streaming on the new track pass joint venture that we and NASCAR and NBC have put together. We need to get America to buy this sport because ultimately, and I've learned this in five years, um, is that, what I am selling to the fan in the stand is racing. What I am selling to potential partners to the sport who can bring muscle and big databases and money, what I'm selling to them is not the sport. I'm selling the audience to them. And five years ago, we could count, if we were really optimistic, about 100,000 people 
across America, across a whole season, who followed Flat Track. Well, 100,000 doesn't sound bad, <laughs> uh, except that now it's 5 million. Yeah, that's five, mil- five million. 5 million means I can talk to blue chip companies who would like to get involved in motorsport. And I can't, I can't overestimate how important that is, that we need a truck partner. We need a energy beverage partner. We need all kinds of partners to help us grow the sport because what they bring is they bring, they bring muscle to the communications. And this second chapter is starting because we've now got a, great relationship with caterpillar for example not known uh, tremendously in in motorsports uh, they they do some work in nascar but they're a heavy equipment company why are they interested in us two reasons one is they can help us build the track and tell the story about that which gives authenticity to the partnership and number two caterpillar's audience the people who make purchase and rental decisions on heavy equipment guess what they look like our audience um, they absolutely so, do that's a so natural these, fit these are some of the things we do generally in, in the background um, in trying to develop the commercial footing and stability of the sport, but they're super important. You know, the things that, the things that your listeners are, are mainly interested in is the rules of the sport and where the rounds are and what controversy goes on at a race. That's the entertainment. You know, that, that's very important, but that's largely provided by all the good people of the paddock. What we bring in the series is to try and steer the ship in a direction towards financial stability and safety for all the people involved in the sport. So we don't talk about it that much, but it really occupies an enormous amount of our time. Well, kudos to you on the the completion of that task, Michael, because you're, you're doing a, a famous job, I would argue, and uh, it's just been a pleasure watching the series grow. Clearly, you've uh, done your homework and continue to do it. I'm looking forward to the new chapter, as you're describing it, of AFT Racing and some of my personal favorite racers are in the series, still involved with the series throughout your paddock. Uh, it's just been an exciting development to watch. Uh, what are you most looking forward to this season? Is there an event that uh, most uh, rings true for you? Yeah, no doubt. It's um, It's been a plan, if you like, almost a dream uh, since starting in, in this organization to somehow uh, have an opportunity to marry together more than one motorcycle series to try to try and make a connection because our bike industry is very diverse but there's one thing we all love two wheels and an engine and so bike week this year sees us double header on saturday the final saturday of bike week in the stadium at daytona international speedway with both the daytona 200 and the aft daytona tt both on the same day one ticket gets you two of the most incredible motorcycle races in the world and i've wanted to do that for five years and this year we we get to realize that and that is awesome we were talking about it uh with our previous guest and i was talking about it in our news segment it is bike week this year is just going to be about the best bike week ever so anyone you know there were, there were some indicators to bike week um and and i don't believe they're all scientific but i work in daytona beach and i keep my ear to the ground hoteliers are telling me that they're sold out this year in bike week lots and lots of hotels are already sold out and that is bucking the trend of the last few years so i think i think it's going to be a great bike week well we look forward to it michael and thank you so much for joining us today on pit pass uh we truly appreciate you taking the time and i personally speak for our listeners when i say just keep doing what you're doing. It's it's great. It's a series that no longer has a question mark around it. It's a series that is 
literally exciting. Uh, and its futures is also just as exciting. So thank you again, Michael. Yeah, pleasure. Nice speaking to you today. In upcoming news here on Pit Pass, we can uh, look forward to Supercross returning. Uh, the battle returns uh, to California yet again, going to Oakland this weekend. And the following week, they'll be back in San Diego. So they had a short hiatus in Arizona, returning to the motherland in California. Looking forward to what Ken Roxon's got next. Uh, he's going to have a fight on his hand. There are a number of guys waiting for him out there on the track. Tomac. Barsha, the list is long, and uh, Roxon, cheers to you, man, for the comeback that uh, it'll be a season to remember forever. Thank you again to our guest Steve Jugan of Moto America and Michael Locke of AFT for joining us today on Pit Pass. I want to thank you personally for listening and tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app where you'll get alerts when new episodes are uploaded. Of course, make sure you're also following us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, pitpassmoto.com. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. I'd like to say a special thank you to Ed Camp, social media contributors Chris Bishop, uh, our producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineers Sean Rule Hoffman and Eric Coltnow. I'm PJ Doran. We'll see you next week here on Pit Pass. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.